Well, you know what? So glad that you're here. We're going to start. We're going to, we're going to pray. I figured with the rain like it is and the time change, it might have just been uh, me and Ashley this morning. So, man, so glad you guys weathered the loss of the hour and got here. You know, the Bible says that um, he really is a rewarder to them that diligently seek him. And so the truth of the matter is, if you got here this morning, there must be some thing that's driving you to get here, and that's seeking the things of God. And so thank you so much for coming and uh, being a part of that. As you recall, last week, Stephen Eugen talked uh, about the throne room of God, which was fantastic. If you were not here, um, his message was recorded, and it is uploaded on our podcast and website, so you can have access to that and listen to it. Um, today, we, are, we have another teacher from the House of Prayer by the name of Ashley Folletti, so she's going to introduce herself to you in a bit, but I um, love this lady and her husband, Andrew. They are so involved there and have a great story about what the Lord is doing, so she'll tell you a little bit more about that. But while we're here is we are, we are getting ready to merge with the International House of Prayer of Atlanta, if you haven't heard, um, and one of the things they are introducing to us is this understanding and the importance of 24-7 worship and prayer and why it's important and it's really more than just a good idea now it would be a good idea wouldn't it but it's actually more than just a good idea there's actually some theological backdrops that's pretty important and it's going to affect the entire life of our church as we begin to plug this into who we are and we all get to reap the benefits of what it means to have people that are specifically called to stay before God in intercession and prayer continually and not only that that we get the benefit of also uh, going by the prayer room ourselves anytime just just to just to pray it's really right around the corner about a mile and a half from here and want to encourage you if you haven't been by um, you can literally go anytime like the Waffle House you can go to the Waffle House and to the prayer room um, anytime so at, if you go to the Waffle House first you have a reason to go to the prayer room probably to go in that's right you bring a waffle and you can you can repent but um we're really excited, so let me just pray for us, pray for Ashley, and we'll just kind of jump right in because we have a limited time on Sunday morning, so thank you for being here. Lord, we love you. Lord, the psalmist said early in the morning, our, our song shall rise to you. Lord, you've taught us to pray to give us this day, our daily bread. Lord, we cannot live by bread alone, Lord, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And Lord, we're here this morning. It's because we're hungry. Lord, it would have been easy to stay in bed. It would be easy just to kind of relax, and that would have been good. But, Lord, we've chosen a better thing, Lord, just to, just to come into this place. We're hungry and we're thirsty. Lord, we do pray Ephesians 1.17 today. God, just give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. Lord, let the eyes of our heart be enlightened this morning, Lord, as we hear your truth and your word. Lord, we really don't need any more information, God. We really need revelation from, from your spirit, God, into our heart and into our lives. Thank you so much for Ashley. Thank you so much for Andrew and this awesome family, Lord, who loves you so much. I just pray that you would just anoint her in a mighty way today as she shares with us, God. Just take her years, her wisdom, and all that, God. Put it together in a holy mixture of anointing and fill her mouth today, Lord. And God, I am confident, Lord, we're going to eat well. Lord, not because of her, but because of who is inside of her, Lord. You're the teacher, Holy Spirit. So teach us, Lord. Use her mouth to do it and her words to do it this morning. Bless your people today, God, your sons and daughters in this room as we open our minds and we open our hearts to 
to all that you have, Lord, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on in. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Dustin was talking about the house of prayer, but it's me. I feel so honored to be here with you all this morning. This is actually my first time on a Sunday here at Newbridge Church. Um, and so here I get to teach you all about um, why we do what we do with the house of prayer, what the Lord has touched my heart with. Um, so I'm excited. And I just feel so honored and so blessed to be here with you all. I just um, am amazed that people are here at 9 a.m., ready to hear from the Lord. Uh, so my name's Ashley Folletti. I've been on staff with the House of Prayer since 2009. So I was doing the math last night. I'm about to hit my 10-year anniversary <laughs> there. And um, Andrew and I met at the House of Prayer. And um, we got married 2011. And we have a little three-year-old girl. And then I'm pregnant with my second. So I'm due in May. So I've got a couple months. So if I'm huffing and puffing up here, <laughs> it's just from standing <laughs> and being pregnant. Um, but we're so thrilled uh, and just honored to be on staff. Um, my husband was there a year before me, and um, the Lord just kind of pricked our hearts in a unique way. We, um, Everybody who comes on staff at the House of Prayer does an internship first. So it's a three-month season um, where you get to set aside everything. So work, um, job, at that time, I didn't have a family. At that time, I was actually running from the Lord. Um, but the Lord brought me to the house of prayer. And uh, I did a three-month season in the summer of 2009, um, my internship. And I did what we call the night watch. Has anybody heard of the night watch? So it is um, kind of like it sounds. You are awake during the night and asleep during the day. So it's like kind of this really crazy I'm sure if you're a shift worker, then you can understand this, but it's kind of a crazy um, uh, flip of your schedule, especially in the wintertime when you don't get to see any sun or anything. But thankfully, just the Lord brought me there. He pricked my heart um, for night and day prayer. He pricked my heart for the worth of Jesus. Um, and he just marked me in a unique way. And so there was nothing else that I could say, but I need to do this longer. Um, I graduated from the University of Georgia Go Bulldogs. Um, in 2008, <laughs> hopefully we have some Bulldogs in here. If not, that's okay. But in 2008, and then again came in 2009 to the House of Prayer um, and been there ever since. And so kind of my role there, I do kind of a hodgepodge of things and kind of a little bit of an octopus. But um, I do a lot of administration there. I work with our director, uh, Billy Humphrey, and with our leadership team and serve them in administration. Um, and then I oversee our marketing and communications uh, department. And so that's kind of how I spend my time. And then I have full-time care of my daughter. So I uh, feel extremely blessed to be able to do both of those things, to serve the Lord um, in the context of night and day prayer, and then also have a family and raise my family in that. So it's a pleasure to be here with you all today. Um, I kind of, uh, I'm... If you guys have questions during this, you guys can feel free to bring them. I want this to be, um, I want to teach, but I also, if you guys have questions and stuff, I'll leave some uh, time at the end for that. But if you, if you have questions and you're like, huh, I'm not exactly sure what she's saying, either jot it down for the end um, of our time or just ask me. Raise your hand and um, this, is, this will be like school. We'll be in school again. <coughs> Excuse me. We'll be in school again. And... Um, 
and uh, I want you guys to be flowing, following, and stuff what I'm saying. Um, all right, so I'm going to pray one more time. We like to do that at IHOP is pray, so I'm going to pray one more time for us. Lord, I just thank you. Uh, Lord, this Sunday morning we come before you, God, we're expectant to meet with you this morning. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be in this room, that your presence would reside among us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts to receive what you desire us to receive, all that you have for us this morning. God, we open our hearts to you. I pray that you would stir hearts with love for Jesus this morning. I pray that we would fall in love with Jesus even more. I pray that this wouldn't just be a teaching. God, this wouldn't just be good words. But, Father, it would be um, a message from your heart. And I just pray, God, that you would stand with me. That as as I open my mouth, Lord, that you would fill it with your words. And we just open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. Have your way. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Jesus' name. Amen. Um, All right. The notes were outside. um, So if you haven't grabbed a copy, you can do that. Um, But this is session two, Unceasing Why 24-7. Like Dustin mentioned, Stephen Eugen was here with you um, last Sunday. And um, he talked about the throne room. How many were here last week? So a good number. Um, So he laid out um, throne room, um, and, uh, and spoke and taught out of Revelation 4 and 5. Um, and this is, Revelation 4 and 5 is a scene of the throne room in heaven, and it gives us a picture of what's going on in heaven. It gives us a picture of what's going on around the throne room right now. And so at the House of Prayer, uh, we take a lot of um, our cues, so to speak, and our harp and bull model. He spoke of that, I think, last week um, from those passages. And so we see that Jesus is worshiped unceasingly and uh, without end. And so we do the same thing, or we, we try to do the same thing. And um, so 2006, the House of Prayer went 24-7. So we've uh, just hit, what, our 12-year anniversary, right? Math, yeah. 12-year anniversary um, of 24-7 ceaseless night and day worship and prayer. And um, I have to tell you, being there for um, almost 10 years of it, it's just amazing when you think that, oh, man, we don't have enough people. Oh, man, where is the next person going to come from that's going to continue to make this thing happen? The Lord just brings them. And so it's just been such a testimony um, of the grace of God in our city. He truly wants house of prayer, night and day, open 24-7 here. And I say in the city of Atlanta, it's really the city of Lawrenceville, right? But in Lawrenceville, where people can come and pray, we can corporately gather together. Um, And so today, I am going to talk kind of from a different vantage point. Um, The title of this one is God's Original Plan for Man in the Garden. And um, we're going to talk about the Garden of Eden and how Adam actually Um, we see from scripture is the first priest, you know, that what his role was in the garden wasn't actually like to hoe, you know, and rake and plant stuff and name animals and that kind of thing. He did that, I believe, but um, he walked with God in the garden without sin, without the curse, and uh, he walked in intimate fellowship with the Lord. 
And so we all know the story, but I'm hoping that today that your eyes are just opened a little bit more um, to kind of a grander picture, um, a bigger picture than just um, Adam tilling the ground, you know, and uh, reproducing and naming animals. And, and so I'm hoping to give you guys a picture of the first priest, of, of ministering to the heart of the Lord. And that's really the heart of what we do at the House of Prayer, is we're ministers unto God's heart. Um, and, and so I'm going to uh, just talk a little bit about that today. All right, so if you'll, page one, introduction. Um, we say, from beginning to end, the biblical narrative gives us a c- very clear picture of God's intention for ceaseless intimacy with his people. Though we're familiar with many biblical stories at times, we lose track of the overall storyline of the Bible. And so I remember when I first came to the house of prayer, I grew up in church. Billy was my youth pastor. Billy Humphrey, the director over there, was my youth pastor. So I felt like I had heard a lot of his messages. I felt like I had heard everything he had to say. Um, and But what the Lord had done in his heart from the time he stopped being a youth pastor to the time he started doing a house of prayer is just drawing him in into intimacy. Um, and it was so evident, you know, in... Um, in these uh, messages that he would talk about. And I just remember from my time being there, everybody would talk about how the storyline of the Bible, it's all about the wedding at the end. And that was such a new concept for me, and it may be for you guys in here too, is that at the end of life, at the end of our life, at the end of all things, there's going to be a wedding. And where we, the bride, we, the people of God, are actually going to marry Jesus, you know, and what that looks like and um, uh, um, what that's going to feel like and everything, I am not sure. But the overall storyline of the Bible, as you see from Genesis to Revelation, is just intimacy. God wants intimacy with his people. And so it started in the garden with Adam and with Eve. It started with this deep intimacy, this ceaseless intimacy. You know, it talks about in Genesis how they walked in the cool of the day together, you know, and in bodily form, you know, I can't, um, I'm a very visual person, and so I'm like, oh, what would it have been like to be in the garden in bodily form with God? Right here, right next to me, you know, walking, and I just, um, so we see this storyline, just this intimacy that God wants with his people, and so um, if we think, and if, if we think the storyline is anything other than love, we've completely missed the entire uh, um, message of the Bible. And so just to give you kind of a framework and just a perspective, if that's new for you or whatever, but when you're reading the Bible, these aren't just stories that happen to other people or whatever. We can put ourselves into the storyline and, <coughs> excuse me, put ourselves into the storyline and realize everything that God is talking about, everything that's being said in here, it's all from this place of intimacy. It's all from this desire of God wanting to be close to us, wanting to be near to us, wanting to walk with us, so to speak, in the cool of the day. Um, And so I say here in B, the original design that God intended for humanity is found in the creation narrative centering around the Garden of Eden. So hopefully today I'll lay a groundwork um, for God's intention for humanity in the Garden of Eden that we see in the Garden of Eden. 
Um, though it may seem extremely distant historically, you know, I'm my my daughter, she's three, and so we have these toddler Bibles, you know, and I'm laughing because her favorite story right now is the creation story, you know. Her favorite story is Adam and Eve. And I, you know, I was kind of struck because I go, why do you love this story so much? It ends in such sadness, you know. She, um, the little story says, um, you know, they disobeyed God, and so they had to leave the garden, and they were very sad, you know, and they're, like, crying and stuff. And she just gets so struck or whatever by that, and I'm going, why is my daughter so struck? And then when I was asked to teach this, I was like, that's just kind of funny. It made me laugh that... Um, here I am teaching my daughter about the Garden of Eden. Here I am, you know, we're reading and stuff about the Garden of Eden. Um, and I want to teach her from this place of intimacy with Jesus that that's, that's why they were sad and those kinds of things. So though it may seem so distant historically and maybe like a children's story to us, the way we understand the narrative of the Garden of Eden has a great impact on how we see ourselves um, our relationship with God, and what role we assume in life. Um, so in C, many see the story of the garden simply as a story of God's primitive dealing with man, from which humanity would, would eventually grow into God's full design for us. So again, the story as it's presented to us in children's church, the story as it's presented to us, you know, um, when we're young, um, is this Adam and Eve in the garden, they're, they're tilling the ground, they're planting things, they're naming things, and then they ate the, I mean, then Satan comes along, they, ate the, they eat the uh, fruit, and then they have to leave, you know, and um, I don't think that a lot of us look beyond that for any sort of message or any sort of anything, you know, I, I know that I hadn't even contemplated like God walking alongside of me in the garden and um, or walking alongside of Adam in the garden and his heart for humanity in that. But it's so powerful when we look at the Garden of Eden and we see God's intention for humanity is to walk and to be among his people. It just unlocks something uh, so much bigger and so much grander, you know, so much closer to my heart um, than just a good children's Bible story. Um, so, indeed, the story of the garden actually depicts God's original intent for humanity and, and as such informs us of God's design for us individually and corporately. And I love um, this point that actually God designed us for intimacy. He created us for intimacy. And that's, you know, one of the core facets and the core foundational truths um, of Scripture. And then also why we do what we do at the House of Prayer. But he created us. He, f he formed Adam from the dust. And as women, we were taken from the side of Adam. He created us for intimacy. He created us for this closeness, for this uh, nearness. Um, unlike a husband, not unlike, but so much deeper and so much closer than even a husband and wife, you know, um, that I have with my husband. And um, he created us for this um, intimacy, unlike anything else, and so, um, so yeah, so that's kind of just the introduction, I, I'm, I'm, my prayer today is that, y again, you would get a kind of a grander picture of things for the Garden of Eden, and that your hearts would just be stirred to be close to Jesus, to be near to Jesus, if you don't even understand anything of what I'm saying, <laughs> or the Garden of Eden, or anything like that, if that message um, and that truth can prick your heart, not through me, but through the Holy Spirit, if if that can prick your hearts, then we'll consider that a win today. All right. 
um, uh, Roman numeral two there, the Garden of Eden revisited. So I want you guys to close your eyes. What do you picture when you think of the Garden of Eden? Okay, you guys can um, draw from scripture, draw from your own imagination. But what do you picture when you think of the Garden of Eden? You know, I think when I think of the Garden of Eden, I really do think of this place of beauty, this place of wonder, this place of uh, something that's unlike anything that I've ever seen before. It's a garden that, um, you know, I do picture like the trees, I picture the greenery, I picture the um, plants, the flowers, the wildlife. I do picture all of those things. And goodness, what would that have looked like without sin? You know, what would that have looked like? What would that have felt like? What would that have, um, what would my experience have been, you know, to see these things without sin, um, without the curse, a place where there was no curse, a place where Adam and Eve lived in unveiled intimacy. God was not veiled at all. It talks about, you know, how Moses, he couldn't see the face of God. You know, he could only see his backside. What would it have been like to be Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with unveiled intimacy, with his beauty and wonder and glory all around you? The Garden was a place fully animate with the life and the glory of God. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I love the sun. Um, I... I'm not a big fan of the winter time, as you can tell. Winter time does not agree. <laughs> I feel like with my physical body, I love the sun. I love the beauty of the outdoors. I know that many of you, I'm sure, do too. You know, you step outdoors, you feel the wind, you see the colors, you know, you see the greenery, you see life, and that kind of thing of summer. And what that would have been like, you know, without sin. Um, And with God dwelling in it, I just go, oh, I want to experience that, the life and the glory of God, unlike what I experience here today. Um, And so I just want to propose that the Garden of Eden is far grander than anything you and I have ever pictured. That picture of the beauty, the wonder, the colors, the massive trees. I I think of like, you know, the fruit has got to be just like so juicy, you know. Or, like, massive, so much bigger than, like, you know, what we can produce here with our fertilizers and whatever, you know? It's just got to be beautiful and glorious. Um, And so even my words now, they just fall short, you know, to anything that I could even, like, I I can't come up with a word um, of how the Garden of Eden must have been. And so it's far grander. It's far greater than anything you and I could even picture. It wasn't merely a farm, um, but it was primarily a sanctuary. And I didn't put this reference in there, but it's Ezekiel um, 28. And in Ezekiel 28, verse 18, if you want to write that down, you can go back and look at it. It describes how Lucifer was defi- uh, defiled his sanctuaries. And so in verse 13, it says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. 
And then in, in 18, you defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. And so in this verse here, we see the Garden of Eden, and then we also have the word sanctuary. And um, this is where we kind of get the idea that garden, the Garden of Eden was the first sanctuary for God and man to meet and share an intimate fellowship. It was specifically created to be a meeting place for man and God. It wasn't just a good idea like God was like, yeah, I like gardens. I'm going to put one here. It was specifically created for intimacy between God and man. It was a sanctuary. And, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but our desire for the house of prayer is that that room where continual night and day worship and prayer would be a sanctuary. You know, and, and many of you may, um, may see this as a sanctuary in the, in the sense of how we say it. You know, you kind of congregate there, we worship together and that kind of a thing. Um, but it's much more than just corporately coming together on a Sunday or a Wednesday morning, a sanctuary, a place to meet with God, you know? And I know a lot of you, I'm sure you guys have uh, your, your prayer closets, you know, your quiet places where you go and be with the Lord. It's your sanctuary. It's a sacred, special place. It's a place where you meet with God. That's what the Garden of Eden was a sanctuary. The Garden of Eden was a meeting place for God with man. It was where, again, he could walk in bodily form with, with man. And um, it's so much grander than, again, just dirt and trees and a guy tilling a ground, you know, with animals and stuff like that. So much grander than that. I say in C1 um, here, that this makes far more sense when we consider the gardens of the ancient Near East. You know, we have gardens here in America, but, um, you know, in Scripture, gardens were something that were completely different. Or more, I should say, not different than what we have here. You know, when we think of gardens, we think of, like, the box you know, the box that I built in my backyard, you know, that has good soil and I'm going to plant stuff in it, you know. Or we think of, you know, flowers and, um, and then the things in our backyard, basically. I think, Danica, you have, you have a beautiful garden, don't you? Um, but uh, we realized that gardens in the ancient Near East were very different than we understand them today. They were places with building structures. They were places with pathways and with walls, with gates, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of, of even a movie that I've seen um, with this type of a thing, but I think of like ancient Roman movies or something like that, you know, where these gardens, you have house kind of around and probably gardens in um, most parts of the world other than America probably are more like this than our gardens, but they're connected to a house, you know, or they're connected to a residence, or maybe they're in the middle, you know. Um, but they are places with chambers. They're places um, that just look different than the garden that we have in our backyard. Again, our gardens in America are mainly for, like, plants, flowers, um, pro uh, produce, you know, vegetables, those kinds of things. Um, but gardens um, that we see in the ancient Near East 
they were a little bit more. They were a place where you could go and you could steal away a little bit and you could be in the kind of a quiet place. You could be in a secret place. Um, and so that's kind of when we think of the Garden of Eden, let's think of it a little bit more that way other than, again, the garden that we have in our backyard with a fence around it, you know. Um, think of it more of a place that has buildings and structures and places to meet. Um, and I say here, and two, consider this quote from um, the uh, InterVarsity Press Dictionary. Next, and I think it's on page two. Next, we need to understand that the designation, we need to understand the designation garden. The word generally refers to a park-like setting featuring trees and what we would call landscaping. This is in contrast to the American usage of garden, which more often than not refers to a small rectangular plot of ground with rows of vegetables and flowers. In the same way that a garden of the palace would be adjoining the palace, Eden would then be the source of the waters and the residence of God, and the garden would adjoin God's residence. Gardens of this variety were a common feature in palace complexes in the ancient world. They were planted with fruit trees and shade trees and generally contained watercourses, pools, and paths. And so, again, I'm a very visual person, and so I love when I get a little bit more description, you know, of what a garden might look like what the Garden of Eden might look like. It's not going to be a small rectangular plot, you know, of the rows of vegetables, the rows of flowers, but it's connected to the very residence of the person, you know, um, that's, that has the garden. And it's a much more, again, place where you can kind of steal away. And, and here it says the would be the source of the waters and the residence of God. I just love that. I love the, the, the picture and the description of it being having uh, brooks and, and pools. And um, it's, it's, um, it's full of life, you know, um, full of color. And um, we'll get to a minute. <laughs> now that we understand that the garden was a sanctuary, it begs the question, what exactly was Adam's role? So again, why is this crazy woman up here talking about the Garden of Eden in a sanctuary? Again, it talks, it, it instructs us and gives us a picture of what God intended for us in humanity. And so um, when we see that the garden was a sanctuary, it wasn't just a, a rectangular plot <laughs> with vegetables and flowers and that kind of thing. What exactly was Adam's role? So we'll go here in um, Roman numeral three, Adam, the first priest. Genesis 2.15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to tend and keep it. A, the Hebrew word used for put, and I'm not even going to attempt to say that Hebrew word, literally means set to rest. Can anybody speak Hebrew? Jeremy? So, Kristen, how do you say it? Say it again. Nuah. Something like that. Okay. Um, literally means set to rest. And so it says the Lord God took the man and he put him. He set him to rest in the garden. This is the same word used in the Old Testament to describe God's Sabbath rest and his desire for a resting place. So again, we kind of get this picture that God, again, didn't just put Adam 
into this place with trees that was beautiful, that had fruit and that kind of thing. He set him to rest almost as a dwelling place, you know. And again, Eden, I mean, Eden was Adam's home. But a dwelling place, the same word was used to describe God's desire for a resting place. And so we see God's desire for a resting place in the Garden of Eden, saying, B, whenever the word, uh, whenever the Hebrew word for tend is used with the word for put, the two together always refer to either the Israelites serving God and keeping his commandments or the priest who serve the Lord and guard his sanctuary. So I put some I put some references down here um, where we actually get this. Um, but when again, when you see the word for tend and when you see the word for put, God took the man, put him in the garden to tend and keep it. The other times it was it, those two words are together is when the Israelites are serving God keeping his commandments, or to priests who serve the uh, Lord and guard his sanctuary. So this goes right along with the idea that the Garden of Eden is a sanctuary. Adam was put there to tend and to keep it. He was put in a dwelling place to actually serve the Lord and minister to him. And again, that just opens our eyes to see the Garden of Eden as so much bigger than just a beautiful place where he, he fed animals and that kind of a thing. He was there to serve the, lo- the Lord, to guard God's sanctuary. And so and see, the best understanding of this passage would be to see Adam as being set to rest in the garden to serve and guard the sanctuary. This clarifies his role was a priestly role, just like the priest and Levites, who would later be assigned to care for the tabernacle and the temple. And we see that, you know, you have priests, you have Levites, you have these people who their sole job is in the tabernacle. Their sole job is in the temple to serve the Lord in that place, to guard it as a sanctuary. And so we see it throughout Scripture, and I just want to say that that is where we're going Okay, we're going to the wedding, yes, and we're also going to this place, and we can have that reality now, but we're actually going to a place like the Garden of Eden was back in the day of where there's a dwelling place of God, and we are there walking with him. We are there in bodily form, being with him in intimacy. And so when I started to see Adam as a priest, when I started to see him and when I think of priest, you know, I always think of like a, a Roman Catholic or I think of a priest who, you know, wears like a, a suit. I don't even know what you call these things, you know. But when I think of priest, I think of something very different. You know, I don't picture necessarily Adam, the first man, ministering to the heart of God, serving him, guarding his sanctuary, Indeed, when we understand that Adam was the first priest, we begin to understand God's desire for a kingdom of priests and our calling as priests unto God. And so this is something that I did first hear about the house of prayer. I never understood kingdom of priests. I never understood why God was calling Israel a kingdom of priests and wanting us to be kingdom of priests. 
But this helps it make so much more sense that that's, bas- that's the original intention of God with man. Exodus 19.6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Revelation 1.6, he's made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Adam was the first priest in the Garden of Eden. It was set up as a sanctuary, a meeting place, a dwelling place between God and man. And so if we see that at the Garden of Eden, we can better believe that his intention for us here in the 20th century, in 2000, what are we, in 18, is that we would be priests. We would be those who minister to the heart of God. We would be those who would walk with him in the cool of the day. We would be those who, in intimacy, talk with him. Just like I do with my daughter, you know? I mean, she's three. Like, what kind of conversations can we have, you know? (laughs) They're about a craft or about what somebody did in class or something like that, and they're, they're jumbled sentences, and I don't even understand them sometimes, you know? But I walk with her. I talk with her. There's an intimacy that's, ev- that's developed there. And just the same way that God, uh, or that I walk with my daughter, that I'm um, caring for her, God desires to walk with us in that same way, to hear about our day, to hear about what's going on inside of our hearts, our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts. And so I'm going to go into that now. Um, And so um, I just want to uh, encourage you to think about what does a priest mean to you? You know, when I, again, when I think of that word, it's not like a word that I have necessarily connected to very easily. It's taken me a little bit, you know, to kind of connect to that word. Um, But as I see in scripture, as I read in scripture, the Israelites, the Levites, those who serve the Lord in the temple, it gives me a picture of how my relationship can be with the Lord, of how my relationship is meant to be with God. And so I just encourage you, consider what a priest means to you, and then consider, have you ever considered yourselves a priest? to God? Have you ever considered yourselves as ones who are ministers to the heart of the Lord? You know, we don't just come here on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night um, to gather together to fellowship, and then that's it. We actually walk with God in the midst of the week, you know. We actually, uh, we come together corporately, and it's amazing, and it's so powerful, and the relationships that are formed But when we come together, we're coming together as priests. We're coming together as a body of people who name the name of Jesus. And hopefully there's some lost people among us who see it and get saved. But we come together as a body of people who love Jesus as priests, as ministers to the heart of God. So on Sunday morning when I'm lifting my hands and I'm singing a worship song to Jesus, I'm ministering to his heart. You are ministering to his heart when you come. You lift your hands before him 
or you dance before him, or you just reverently set your eyes on him. You're coming before him, and you're ministering to his heart. That is all that God wants from us, is that deep intimacy, that closeness, that nearness. He's not a cruel taskmaster. He's not sitting up there as this large God demanding that we do this and we do that and we keep uh, the commandments. Those things are all good. We do that, but we do that out of love for him. God's, God desires intimacy with us. And so I just want you in the rest of this time to consider yourself as a priest. Consider yourself as a minister to the heart of God. Because that's what we were designed for. It's what we were created for, to minister to the heart of God. So in um, uh, Roman numeral four here, the role of humanity. With the idea of the garden as a sanctuary and Adam as the first priest in our minds, here is a critical truth that we need to digest. The most foundational expression of humanity is that we were firstly created to be priests in purpose, identity, and action. And I love this because, again, it's not just something that we do, it's who we are. It's identity. It's purpose. And there's actions that are with it. But it's your identity. It's who you are. You are a priest. You are a believer, a lover of Jesus, designed to meet with him in the secret place, designed to meet with him in the garden, so to speak. And it's from this, it's from our identity as priest that we move outward into all the other activities of our lives. The specific activity of ministering to God is the starting point, and all other tasks and commissions are secondary in life. The one, this one truth should fundamentally impact how we order our lives and all that we do. We start from the place of priest. We start from the place of intimacy and closeness with Jesus, with God. And everything else that we do flows from that place. So Adam, he walked with God in the cool of the day. He talked with him. He heard what was on his heart. And from that place, he did everything else. From that place, he did his day. He went to work, you know, and sat in traffic. And from that place, cared for his, well, he didn't, I mean, in the garden, not have kids, but cared for his children, so to speak. Every bit of his life flowed from the place of, of ministering to the heart of God. Adam's commission to fill the earth and subdue it was always intended to flow forth from his identity as a priest and his activity of intimate fellowship with God. So to fill the earth and subdue it was to flow forth from his identity as a priest and I just remember, you know, my tendency is a, I'm a doer, you know, like I love to work and I love to serve and I love to hosp uh, do hospitality, you know. I'm a worker. My mom, like, instilled that in me. I'm just a worker, you know. I'm a laborer, like I'm always doing, always going, and that kind of a thing. 
Um, but when I came to the house of prayer, the Lord just started slowly drawing me to a deeper place in his heart. He started drawing me to this place of ministering to him. And this takes time. Ministering to the heart of God, it's not just something that I can uh, do and check off my list and move on to the next thing. Ministering to the heart of God, it's I, I'm, I'm intended to do everything else from that place, but often it would just be a checklist for me, you know? I'm sure, can anybody relate to that, you know? I, I do my work first, and I'm going to get get my quiet time done, you know? It's a, it's a checkbox, and then I get that done, and then I can move on, you know? But everything that we do is to flow from this place of intimacy, to flow from this place of connection with God. And that is, again, super hard for my personality. I am sure there's a lot of workers in here. It's so hard for my personality just to sit, minister to the heart of God, to quiet my soul, to quiet my thoughts. And not that it has to be that way every single time, but this intimate fellowship with God, this connection, this meeting with God, it takes time. And see, this commission was ultimately about filling the earth with a people who firstly identified as priests, whose first ministry would be to God. And then extending the atmosphere of the garden worldwide so the entire planet would be a place of intimate communion with God. And this touches me so much because this is... This is what God desired to fill the earth with, this kind of people who would grab hold, who would have revelation on their hearts of the truth that were priests and ministers to God. We firstly identify as priests to God, and then that atmosphere is extended wherever we go, whether it's to the mission field, whether it's to the nations, whether it's to the workplace. The entire planet would be a place of intimate communion with God. D, with this commission as priest in mind, we can clearly see the commission of the priesthood to all humanity as it's expressed in the first and second commandment. So we take it out of the garden a little bit uh, further down the road as far as the timeline goes, but still the message is the same. The message is the same. Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And we have myriads of teachings at the House of Prayer that break down what your heart, soul, mind, strength actually is. And I'm not going to go into that now. But it's the, enti- it's the identity, it's the purpose thing that we're talking about. It's every part of our being loving God. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is the commission to all of us as priests. Love the Lord your God with your entire being. And then go and love your neighbor the same, like you do yourself. And E, when Jesus, the last Adam, returns, he will finish the commission that God originally gave to Adam by seeing to it that the entirety 
of the earth as a place filled with worship as the glory of the Lord covers the earth throughout all nations. And so Jesus, referred to as the last Adam, he's going to see this commission through. The one that Adam and Eve, when they ate of the fruit and they lost that connection with God, they lost the privilege of being in the garden. They had to leave the garden. They were cast out with a flaming sword, can't come back. Jesus, when he returns, is going to finish this commission. He's going to see to it that the entirety of the earth is filled as a dwelling place, is filled with worship, is filled with priests who minister to his God and Father, just like in Revelation, as it says. He's made us a kingdom of priests, a kingdom priest unto his God and Father. This is Jesus' desire because it's his Father's desire. He's going to come back. The glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth throughout all nations. And I have a couple of verses there, and I, I love Malachi 1.11. We pray it all the time when we pray for missionaries that we have overseas, the houses of prayer, the prayer rooms that we have overseas. We pray this, for from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be made great among the nations. In every place, incense, and incense is prayers. It says in Revelation, incense is the prayer, are the prayers of the saints. Incense is going to be offered to my name, for my name will be made great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And I just absolutely love that verse. It's a promise. He's declaring it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. His name is going to be made great above Allah. His name is going to be made great above every other God. In every nation, throughout all nations, his name is going to be made great. And so in F, night and day worship, either in a single location or throughout a city, is a very natural expression of our first identity as a kingdom of priests. And so... This is entitled Unceasing, Why 24-7 Prayer, and we're going to get into that in just a minute, a little bit more. But this is why. It's because we're priests, and so night and day, day and night, we've been given the assignment and the grace to minister to the heart of God. He's given us a facility. He's given us a building. He's given us people who are called full-time into this vocation to minister to the heart of God, and from that place, everything else, all of our works of ministry, all of our works of justice, all of our works of serving will flow. Um, I don't know. You're going to have to tell me the time, actually. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Praise God. Okay, so five minutes, we can do it. Um, so Roman numeral five, Adam's example in worship. Adam's role as a priest was a role of ministering to the Lord, beginning with loving God through worship and extending, that's supposed to say extending, to loving God with all the rest of the activity in his life. And we've talked about this. Our whole lives are an act of worship to Jesus in the home, in the marketplace, in church ministry, in outreach, when I'm at the grocery store, when I'm at college, I'm not in college, when I'm on a college campus, 
when I was at my funeral for my 22-year-old cousin yesterday, all of our lives are an act of worship to Jesus. We can minister to God in everything. And that's what we see Adam. He was first a priest in identity, and all of his actions flowed from that place. There's not a separation between the sacred and the secular. We worship through loving devotion and obedient faithfulness. Everything we do, therefore, when it is done unto the Lord is a ministry to him. All of the activity of our lives is a priestly service to the Lord. In Colossians 3, do all that you do heartily is unto the Lord. If we look again at to Adam's example, we'll find a critical foundation, foundational truth of worship. At the dawn of creation, in the Garden of Eden, there was Adam, the first man, without sin and unveiled fellowship with the eternal Father. He had no sin to be forgiven, no needs to be met. He lacked nothing, but Adam simply worshipped because God was worthy to be worshipped. Again, Adam had he lacked nothing. He had no sin to be forgiven. He had no needs. He came before God unlike you and me. You and me, we come. Sin, uh, um, uh, people of sin, a sin nature. We come with needs. We come to him, and, and that's, that's okay. That, you know, that, that's why the, the sacrifice of Jesus, that's why his body had to be uh, sacrificed as an atonement for our sin. But Adam, he came before God, um, and he worshiped him because God was worthy. The only basis for Adam's worship was the beauty and the majesty of God. The goal of his worship was simply to love, honor, and praise God. And this brings us to the foundational reason for worship and prayer. God is worthy. Jesus is worthy. And so I'm so excited in this, um, in this merge with Newbridge and the House of Prayer. You know, the Lord has given us this mandate, this assignment of night and day prayer, of creating a sanctuary where people can come and meet with God, and together we can, we can meet with him. But I'm so excited to do this, to do this merge because everything in church life and, and coming and showing up here at 9 a.m. and hungry for teaching and all of that, that's what we're going to get to do together. We're going to get to come before the Lord in a sanctuary, in a place of night and day, ceaseless worship, and come together as a church body, as a church family, and minister to the heart of God together. Not because we want breakthrough in our city, although we do. Not because we want healing, although we do. I, I really want to see signs and wonders. I want to see power and miracles but we're going to get to come together and together minister to the heart of God. And when that happens, when people come together, when two or three are gathered in his midst, I mean, uh, together, he's there in our midst. And so I'm so excited for this merge because I just, I know that the power of God and um, uh, the adoration of God is only going to be that much more magnified as we do it together. We don't primarily worship to shift the atmosphere, to get our needs met, or to see God's power released. 
but we worship because he's worthy of it. And I think Stephen last week, he, um, like, and when he talked, um, taught through Revelation 4 and 5, he talked about this. You know, we see this scene in heaven, this throne room scene. We see that there's no one who's worthy to open the scroll. The only one, and John is weeping. He's weeping. No one in heaven or earth, um, or on earth or under the earth is able to open this scroll. But here comes Jesus, the lamb that was slain, the one who died on the cross for you and me, the son of God who gave his life. He came. And he was the one who was worthy to open that scroll. And the scroll simply just had the, the, the plans for the end of the age of God, the plans of his father on that scroll, okay, written down, the seals, the trumpets, the bulls, all this stuff that we don't really understand. <laughs> and that takes us some time. The worthy one, Jesus, the only one worthy found in all of creation, he was the one who came and opened the scroll. This is the Jesus that you and I get to serve. This is the Jesus and the God that we get to minister to as priests, the only one who's worthy. And so why 24-7 prayer? Why 24-7 worship? Because Jesus is worthy. He is worthy. He's the only one worthy. He's the only one worthy. And this is why we do what we do. At the center of night and day prayer and worship is the identity of the one who stands in boundless beauty. His splendor alone is more sufficient to warrant 24-7 adoration on earth as it is in heaven. And Stephen talked about that last week. How the living creatures, night and day, years and years, I mean hundreds, thousands of years, Forever, they've been saying, holy, holy, holy. Living creatures for years and years, and it doesn't even get exhausting. They're not even tired of saying it. This is what's going on in heaven. And so a little snippet of what God's given us here is what we're, what we're endeavoring to do in the prayer room. And I'm not even saying that from a place of arrogance. I'm saying that as a place. The Lord's given us this mandate and this assignment at the house of prayer. But it's not fueled by regional breakthrough. It's not fueled by signs and wonders, power. It's fueled by the worth of Jesus, hopefully, by his grace. That's what it's fueled by. Twelve years here in this city, night and day, day and night, awake in the night, asleep during the day, families, you know, all of this stuff, we do it because of the worth of Jesus. We want 24-7 adoration on earth as it is in heaven. And, um, and so I say here in F, night and day worship and prayer does not primarily exist because there's so much need that we must pray continually, but instead, day and night worship and prayer exist because the glory of God and the worth of Christ warrant it. And so I, I had you ask this question to yourselves. What do you think of when you think of priests? Do you see yourself as a priest? Do you see yourself as one who ministers to the heart of God? 
and hopefully, and and I've I've put um, some more thoughts in here and stuff. You can go and read later. But hopefully, I've I've um, given you enough to prick your hearts to want to be a priest. To, if that's even a foreign concept to you, to want to um, explore that out, to want to give yourself to it. And in this merge, we get this opportunity to have a 24-7 house of prayer two miles from here. And it, we congregate here on a Sunday or on a Wednesday together in worship in the receiving of a message and teaching. And then we get to go live it out in the prayer room. And so I just encourage you, take these notes, take these notes over the next, uh, I think it's a four-week class, come to the prayer room. We are open 24-7, like Dustin was saying. You can bring Waffle House, you can bring it, eat in the cafe, and then come into the prayer room. Don't eat it in the prayer room. Um, But come into the sanctuary that's been going for 12 years. Come and meet with God, minister to his heart. And so, um, hopefully, I've pricked your heart just with the glory, the majesty of Jesus, that Adam in the Garden of Eden was a priest, that the Garden of Eden was a meeting place, a dwelling place between God and man. And that's what we endeavor at the House of Prayer to do, and that is why 24-7 prayer. Um, And I'll just say, indeed, this is what our community is about, growing in the knowledge of Jesus that we may perceive his worth and in turn give him the glory due him. From that place of worship, we endeavor to declare his glory across the nations. And the Lord's pricked my heart with the worth of Jesus. And when, when you get a glimpse of the worth of Jesus, all you will do is worship. That's the only natural response is worship. Oh, Jesus, you're worthy. Amen. All right. Let me pray for us and we can go. Thanks for staying a little bit over. So, Lord, we love you. We come before you as priests, Lord. We come before you, God, as a body of believers, lovers of Jesus, those who name the name of Christ as priests, ministers to your heart. We come before you, God, and I just ask in this room, God, that as we leave from this place, God, that you would remind us of our identity. You would remind us of our identity as priests before you. You would remind us, Lord, that everything is to flow from this place of intimacy. Lord, I pray, would you draw us deeper into intimacy where we're in unbelief, Where this isn't touching our hearts, God, I pray, would you remove the unbelief? Would you remove the, the veils from our eyes? Open our eyes to see Jesus and all of his worth and all of his splendor and majesty. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to see who this man is that we may worship and minister to your heart. I pray, God, just blessings upon these as we leave. I pray, God, draw us into deep intimacy that we may draw others into intimacy, our families into intimacy. 
And I pray, God, do all that you desire to do through this merge, God, with Newbridge Church and IHOP Atlanta. Do all that you desire to do. Continue to make us a kingdom of priests, Lord, at the center, at our core. And from that place, do the works of ministry. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, bless you. I'll be here. There's not room for questions, but I'll be up here if you have any or time. Thanks.